on this episode of China Unscripted. Xi Jinping says the U.S. is the biggest threat to China's development, how the Communist Party warps language to trick the West, and what will the Biden administration's China policy be? Welcome to China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Zhang. And I'm Matt Ganesha. And big news, Chinese leader Xi Jinping, well, it's sort of a game of she said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she said the U.S. is the biggest threat to China. Is that what she said? That's what she said. Okay. I feel like someone had to feed you the line, right? I didn't realize I had to say it after. Okay. Because if, if we hadn't fed you the line, it could have sounded like you were saying like a he said, she said situation. Oh, I thought you were waiting for, that's what she said. Thanks for watching. I'm Chris Chappell. <laughs> Matt will catch up. Yeah, Matt will catch up. Yeah, uh, the biggest threat. Now, Now, what's interesting is, well, this was actually a point Matt made, so I'll let Matt say it. Oh, well, I was saying earlier that if the U.S. were to do the same thing, in other words, if the, if the U.S. president said China is the biggest threat facing the U.S., then the Chinese Communist Party would fly off the handle. They would no be word so yet on mad. what handle. Yes, they uh, they really need to get a grip on it. You would never hear the Biden administration say that something like that. They've been very much that, you know, China may be a rival, but we need to uh, cooperate. Together. Yeah, this is actually specifically what Xi Jinping supposedly said, which is the biggest. Listen source... to what she says. Yes. OK. The biggest source of chaos in the present day world is the United States. The United States is the biggest threat to our country's development and security. This is interestingly not like in a published speech by Xi Jinping. Basically, the New York Times found this in a speech published on a government website from a county official in northwest China that was he, the county official was recounting what Xi Jinping had told them in like a private meeting of Communist Party. Officials. Oh, so it is kind of like a game of he said, she said a little bit. Well, it's more like a game of Chinese whispers. Like, are we allowed to say that? Is I'm that... allowed to say that. OK. You can say telephone. It's like a game of telephone <laughs> with Chinese people. Yes. It's like Huawei. Ooh. Oh, gosh. Well, no, that's, that's when they're listening in on. That's like if you. That's like a Chinese telescreen. You know, telescreens from 1984. Oh, it's the, OK. It's the screen that watches you, right? Really? Alexei, what's what's 1984? Alexei? Alexa. <laughs> Alex, mine, mine's uh, uh, Russian. Uh, 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 yeah. <laughs> Alexei is that guy who just got assassinated by the Russian government. No, well, he wasn't no, assassinated. He, he just got alive. poisoned. He just got poisoned. That's why in the script, and I thought this was funny. I didn't say it, but it was like he was poisoned and imprisoned. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> Which I think is a little funny because, you know, normally it might be the other way around. But usually. No, he was poisoned first mm -hmm. and then imprisoned. And then imprisoned. You know, maybe maybe he was he like was a, hung and then sent to jail. It's a uh, Rasputin situation. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, he did survive poisoning, didn't he? Rasputin, yeah, and like I mean. getting his guts stabbed out. Yeah, they eventually, I believe, just shot him. I, I think he, they like tied him up, stabbed him, or shot him and threw him in a river, and he died after successfully getting out of his bonds, but not quite being able to get to shore before drowning or succumbing to his wounds. Wow, so he really was a witch. Can men be witches? If they identify Later as a at witch. three on China Unscripted. We had lunch before this. It was a bad idea. It, it was. was a great idea. We had Chinese dry pot. Oh, so good. Okay, but I feel like we're, Off the topic. we're a little handicapped now. So we're talking about the game of telephone where a local official recounted what Xi Jinping had said, saying that the U.S. is the biggest threat to China's development. Yeah. I mean, you're never going to see Xinhua like, publishing the, that Xi Jinping had said something like that or whatever. In but, English or Chinese. No, because it's a situation where obviously they want to kind of portray this whole, like what Xi Jinping said at Davos this year, right? Like, it's mm. time for multilateralism, like shared prosperity, like for the global future. Like, Cooperation, win-win. Yeah. yeah, so there's no way that they are going to be like, well, you know, they like to play the victim card, sure. Like, they like to say that, you know, people are misunderstanding uh, China or like accusing them of being having concentration camps. You know, like, this is yeah. like all you know, hurts the feelings of the Chinese people, but they're not going to come out and say, 
we're directly in like a cold war with the United States, essentially. Well, speaking of the concentration camps, this is a little bit of a digression, but I want to talk about it because it's so crazy. The the, the Uyghur women oh, who yeah. were, have been speaking out like on, in interviews on BBC talking about, you know, concentration camps, the uh, the sexual abuse that happens, et cetera, et cetera. And then what's his name? Wang Yibin, uh, like comes out and like, like reveals personal information about these women. And there's like this campaign to be like, oh, no, these women, they committed adultery. They're lazy. Don't listen. It's just so like it reveals so much about the character of these people. There was actually an interview where the Chinese state Armenia went to interview the brother of one of the women yeah, uh, and basically asked him like, well, how come your sister is lying about all of these things? And he had to be like, well, I don't know. She just might be naive and misled. So there's this implication that maybe she's being told to say these things. By who, Shelley? By, by who? You know, by, you know, foreign forces. Uh, imagine a powerful force telling an interviewee what to say. The way they told the brother what to say. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh -huh. Yes. I was like, you're making a point, but I'm not quite <laughs> getting there. I got it now. It's the dry pot. Yes. What's the what's the excuse the other times? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. Blame that on the dry pot. Yeah, I'm, no, no. I mean, that's a fair criticism. Well, okay. So let's let's go back to she said. There, you were telling me, Shelley, about this other interesting uh, thing that she was talking about about struggle. Oh, right. So there was this part was actually you know, publicized in Chinese state-run media that Xi Jinping had had a special meeting with- In Chinese or English, was it? Both. both. It's like uh, with, uh, he had had a meeting with like these young communist party cadres, you know, like- Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Yeah, you know, encouraging them to live up to the ideals of the communist party, mm -hmm. you know, serve the people, heart and soul. Like you're a member of the communist party, so you have to be a good example, you know, like this kind of stuff. All sounds great and positive in the English. And then if you read the Chinese version of his speech, which was published in Chinese by state-run media, he talks a lot about struggle, doujian, which is not the kind of like, you know, a struggle where like, you know, you overcome things Adversity or whatever. Adversity and hardship. Yeah, it's- It's not Thomas the Tank Engine. No. <laughs> Does Thomas- Sorry, that's different than the little engine Yeah, that I was could. gonna say the Thomas the Tank Engine. Uh, close, but not quite. So, so dojong in Chinese is, means is what? It's like a, it's like the, like a struggle, but in the sense of like fighting conflict, like communist to, class warfare, essentially. It, well, like right? yeah, it's like it's the kind of like you you have two. It's the dialectic, right, where you have two sides that are in opposition, and then like they struggle against each other, right? Yeah, and so uh, in the Cultural Revolution, there were groups that you had to dojong against struggle. You had to. The party had to dojung the Tiananmen Square uh, student protesters. The Communist Party had to dojung Feng Gong. Yeah, so it's this is this is like a very, you know, common Communist Party term. And so he was talking about how these young Communist Party members must study the spirit of struggle of dojung, and they have must keep up the struggle. All this stuff. He used the word dojung like forty eight times or something, like some like huge number of times in his speech, but like. Not in the English version. They mm -hmm. took all that out when they reported on this. Well, so yeah, that ties back to what you the original story about um, the U.S. being the biggest threat. These are the same things they're saying, just they don't really want to telecast it to the rest of the world. I think it's interesting too because Alexa, thanks for sending me 1984. <laughs> okay, well, let's tell a screen. Oh, but, but I'm sure Alexei told you the wrong word. <laughs> uh, the chief knockoff Russian version. I tell ya. Is telecast is just as good. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't get why people love this book, 1983. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, things were great in 1983. <laughs> yeah, that's what the book doesn't go into. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of dojung and struggle. 1984 is a good example of what uh, the, oh, the, like the what dojung means. Struggle. Two minutes of hate and all that stuff. Yeah, 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 things like that. People should read 1984 more. We could have a book club where we all read 1984 together. Doesn't that sound? Uh, you fun? know, I was thinking about uh, some kind of possibility of doing something like a a 
a book club where we read books and we talk about it together or something. I think the book club is the talking about it together. You have to read it on your own time. No, no, no. I mean, I think, you know, Chris just reads 1984 out loud to all of us. (laughs) The year was 1983. It was the best of times. (laughs) It was the worst of times. Uh, My name is Ishmael. (laughs) (laughs) This is like a Harry Potter fan fiction thing all over again. (laughs) It's happening again. (laughs) Actually, it would be pretty hilarious to read knockoff versions of, you know, I mean, I don't know if that exists the way that like knockoff Chinese DVDs exist. You know what I mean? Oh, where it's like, they kind of have the the gist of it. Or like, it's like Star Wars on the front, but the... (laughs) Schwarzenegger. Yes. That kind of stuff, yeah, or like the description is actually of Mission Impossible, <laughs> but it's it's close. I, close enough. I remember I was in Portugal in like maybe 1990, and I bought this New Kids on the Block tape. I'm like, oh, I've never seen this album. This looks so cool, and I buy it and I like put it in my Walkman, and it is definitely all different voices singing these random songs that I'd never heard of. With I, some different languages mixed in, like it was, it was a very weird experience. Okay, I now, hope you kept that tape. Gosh, I don't know what I did with it. I was, I, I felt really betrayed by it. I was like, how could New Kids on the Block do this to me? Six-year-old Matt learns about counterfeiting. Yeah, well, I don't know. I feel like that is an interesting story, but I feel it's overshadowed by the fact that six-year-old Matt was buying New Kids on the Block albums. Hey, I like New Kids on the Block. I'm not ashamed of that. You know, good for you, Matt. Yeah, yeah there we go. Isn't good there some reunion tour with them and the Backstreet Boys? We yeah. talked about this on the like two podcasts ago. Did we or did we talk about it while we were setting up for No, no, no. It was during the podcast because we were trying to make that tortured analogy about the WHO and the new kids on yeah. the uh, Backstreet oh, Boys yeah. reunion tour. That's yeah. what happened. And then we talked, started talking about the new kids on the block. Gotcha. And I told you it was NKOTBSB and you kind of were like, what is life? Alexei, where can I buy the album? (laughs) In Portugal. In 1990. Okay, all we need to do is invent a time machine. Alexei, give me the time machine uh, blueprints. (laughs) Uh, Well, so the other interesting thing that she said, Uh going back to that, you were were telling me about, it was was something about being patriotic in Hong Kong. Oh yeah, that wasn't a Xi Jinping thing though. Specifically, that was like a Chinese state run media. Yes, yeah, so what I what I what I said was that this was something Shelley told me. So I'm saying she told me. Okay, I, I story. she said was me. Okay, yeah. I got, so okay. so can you tell me the thing that Shelley told you? <laughs> no, because I don't listen to Shelley. <laughs> but I'm constantly in your ear, Chris. Yes, constantly. Yes, constantly. Okay, so the thing Tell is Matt. that the Chinese state-run media had been publishing. Well, I guess the backstory is that Chinese, the Hong Kong Affairs Office, which is like the Chinese, like it's technically a Ch- mainland Chinese office that controls Hong Kong, mm-hmm. uh, had you know made some statement about how any officials that serve Hong Kong that get elected must be patriotic to China. And, oh, the oath, yeah, yeah. So like that was basically interpreted as they're going to start disqualifying um, pro-democracy district councilors, which is like, you know, like a town council or like, you know, think of like the lowest level of, you know, yeah. like, you know, people who deal with garbage pickup and stuff like that it's, normally. It's, they have very little power, but it's the only uh, branch of the government that's always been completely elected. People, yeah. completely elected. And technically, the the district councilors have the ability to elect 117 seats on the 1,200-person seat that elects the chief executive. If you're thinking that Hong Kong government sounds complicated, you would be right. No, it's the party. It's in charge. Easy. Okay, that part's easy. But the technicalities of how they manage to jury-rig everything is kind of complicated. But the point is, district council used to not be that important, uh, mostly was controlled by pro-Beijing uh, politicians. And then in 2019, during the protests, because that's the only election people could vote in, like people voted in like almost every district except one was voted in like the pro-democracy people. So now basically they're going to try to disqualify them. And then 
of course, after they made this announcement about, you know, having to pay patriotic and stuff like that, there was some backlash, uh, you know, from Western governments, uh, foreign media. And so China Daily took it upon themselves to defend this by pointing that that, you know, every other country talks about patriotism, you know. Like yep. when Barack Obama was president, he talked about how important it was to be patriotic. What's wrong with uh, wanting Hong Kong officials to be patriotic too? It's this completely the same thing. Makes so much sense. Yeah, so I, I'm also completely fooled by that logic. <laughs> so that's the. It was like this, like full page, like color thing, where like you scroll through, and then there's quotes from UK officials, and you know all these. It's basically trying to accuse the West of hypocrisy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how come you can be patriotic and we can't tell our people to be patriotic? You know. Yes, it's it's amazing how they can how they how they really. Who does that fool though? Who who is the audience of that? Well, I mean, I think if you're not really thinking about it critically, you're not seeing how they're twisting and warping language to suit their own political ends. So they take a word that everyone agrees is good and they change it to mean one thing for them while other people still mean a different thing. So it's the same way they, they handle the term human rights because everyone universally agrees that human rights are good. And therefore what the Communist Party does is they redefine human rights as giving people economic Opportunity, lifting people, lifting out, people of out of poverty. Uh, and so now China can say, oh, look how many people we have lifted out of poverty. China has the best human rights. And they're just using the same term, but, but using a totally different definition for it. And I think that does actually fool a lot of people. And some people who aren't thinking deeply about the implications of it are like, oh, well, okay, it makes sense that economics could also be a human right. You know, that's just how they look at it. But what, what they're not seeing is that like the deeper meaning behind it is that we're not, we, the Communist Party, are not going to give you the other human rights. We're actually using this to replace the values that you hold. It's actually so, superior to the values that you hold, actually. Right. Yeah. And, and so for the Hong Kong thing, coming back to that, it's like China's Communist Party takes the word patriotism, which is loving your country and doing things for the sake of your country. And they're redefining that as acting in a way that is obedient to the Communist Party, rather than it being a love for the, the actual future of the country and the people. And so, uh, but you know, no one's saying this, right? No one's explaining how they're warping the language. It's just that they're using the same term. And so now they, they're like, oh, well, Hong Kong should be patriotic. Because the UK, the UK says UK citizens should be patriotic and America says American citizens should be patriotic. And it all comes down to this way that the Communist Party changes language to trick people and push its own repressive agenda. Can I just say that I'm very impressed? Maybe we should have dry pot more often before a podcast. All right. Yeah. I well, mean, that was very well explained. Well, I think again, that's the first nice thing you said to me on a podcast. <laughs> hey, that's, that's not true. Uh, might be. <laughs> but again, like, who is the audience of that? Who's actually being fooled by it? Because you say people who aren't thinking critically. People who aren't thinking critically are not seeking out what the Hong Kong foreign affairs liaison or the thing. Uh, you know, it's but it gets filtered through things, right? Like uh -huh. the Hong Kong Macau office guy says this gets repeated by Chinese state-run media. People who and are- And so when I ask Lex, say, which country <laughs> has the best human rights, I get China as the answer. Now I get it. Uh, well- Kind of like then there are the people who will carry water for the CCP, right? Like uh, I was watching this guy Victor Gao, who is a like a erudite Chinese British guy, speaks with a British accent. Who is he, basically he must be smart. <laughs> he's basically like a, a mouthpiece for the CCP, even though he's not a, he's not officially a mouthpiece for the CCP. Mm. But like he's being interviewed on BBC about the Uyghur concentration camps, right? The vocational training centers. Uh, the vocational training. And he goes off on this rant about how, like, it's unfair if, like, people should be, like, treating China fairly and all this stuff. And then I watched a couple other appearances he made on Al Jazeera and this kind of stuff. And he was pulling this act with the word terrorism or fighting terrorism. The Al Jazeera reporter was basically being like, do you support, like, torture 
that's happening in these camps and all this stuff. And he read out some of the things that the survivors of the camps were saying, like they had their fingernails pulled out and like electrocution from like cattle prods and all this stuff. And then Victor Gao kept like taking it back to, well, this is about fighting terrorism. I support fighting terrorism. Like he was avoiding the the accusations of torture by justifying the program as a whole, like as like this is China fighting terrorism. And we have more than 50 uh, countries around the world who have, you know, sent letters of support for China fighting terrorism. And those countries are. Yeah. You know, well, like Zimbabwe, you know, so uh, it's it's just like he can use he can hide behind this term of like fighting terrorism that the CCP has redefined as like, well, to fight terrorism, what you have to do is actually just like brainwash an entire people. Yeah. Well, I guess it is like, you know, the big lie. You tell a lie long enough, people will believe it. So even though it is like so transparently stupid to anyone with half a brain, it just gets repeated. And then it gets filtered through these different, you know, ways of talking about it, different people saying these things. And then, you know, you get like media that's like, uh, like gray zone or something where they're like, well, we're against American imperialism. So like everything that China says is right. And mm. like, you know, the concentration camps are a lot like the like there's different like you hear it from different parts of society. And then it becomes, you know, like, oh, well, let's be reasonable. Like people have different perspectives on cultural differences about human rights, like that's cultural where, norms. Yeah, well, well I, I think that there's there's a part of this in saying that, like, Oh, well, you know, if people uh, just like aren't paying attention or, you know, there's so many issues going on in the world that like, most people, like most Americans are not paying attention to China issues at all, or if so, only very tangentially, right? And so like you can't expect the average person to hear what Hong, what the Chinese Communist Party says about Hong Kong patriotism and then analyze it. But they're not going to the, hear it. Well- yeah, but what happens? So, so okay. So, so that's the next point, right? Which is that then, when things get filtered through the the media, then that's when people hear about it, right? They're not hearing about it directly. I mean, this guy was talking about the stuff on the BBC about right. you know the, the concentration camps. People right? watch BBC, they watch Al Jazeera, they read the New York Times. The the media organizations, media have an outsized influence on how people think about issues, right? Because typically, the first time you hear about some international issue is going to be through television or newspaper or the digital equivalent. And so media has this enormous effect on how people think about the world. Even like one journalist uh, not being clued in on, you know, what it means or not taking the time to add context or analysis can actually have a, a huge impact on how a large number of people think about a particular issue, right? If, for example, uh, if media report on persecution of Uyghurs in a certain way, that's going to affect. I mean, that issue, I think, is the, that cat's already out of the bag, right? But there's other smaller issues that don't get a whole lot of attention, such as the way that, uh, say, Tibetans are being forced to uh, give up their language and learn Mandarin. And if the way that the Western media reports on it is China trying to standardize, the, like help help kids in rural areas learn Mandarin so they can get better jobs. Well, I think right? I think this is this is touching on what is effective, the, the the whole poverty alleviation thing. That is actually something the Communist Party has been very effective at. You have like Bernie Sanders arguing that, hey, you know, they did lift millions of people out of poverty. Like, right. That has been an incredibly successful propaganda line. Another one is uh, the whole, I think Biden mentioned this in the town hall, right? This whole idea about oh, yeah. like the the century of humiliation and China needs to be strong or else it'll be taken advantage of by, you know, foreign forces. So that's the way that they look at all, you know, like current foreign, problems. Yeah, foreign policy. Work, which which so. is the biggest pet peeve I have about how a lot of people understand China is is they just view it as this this monolithic thing that has been consistent throughout history rather than the, well, one, the, the Communist Party being a horrific break in 5,000 years of Chinese tradition, but then also that history itself being yeah, incredibly the whole, diverse. The 5,000 years is also kind of like, it's not untrue, but it's like, like that's you have a to specific, do some like, yeah, like there's a specific narrative about like 5,000 years of culture or like, you know, looking at how you know, who united China when, what China meant at different points, you know, like, 
yeah, who was in charge, like what, like it's complicated. Yeah. Right. And and how for none of at least the first 3,000 years or maybe more than 4,000 years did China include areas like Tibet or Xinjiang slash East Turkestan, right? Those are all new as of like the Yuan dynasty. Xinjiang literally means new territories. So yeah, well, let's, let's just kind of pretend that that's not the case because it's been part of Chinese territory since ancient hey, times. Hey, what about New England? Hmm. That's been, that's, that I, was part of English territory in ancient times. Yeah, is it still new? Actually, when New England was part of England, it's hilarious, like comparing the, how, that's like the latest Chinese dynasty, right? Like when New England was first settled by colonists was like uh-huh. during the time, like that's like the, one of the earliest parts of American history. And that's like oh, right. the beginning like the, of like the, the, the Qing the, the, the dynasty. The 1600s. Yeah. yeah. I mean. China is old. Yeah. Yeah. How about New Mexico? Come on. How long is it going to be new? Am I right? Am I right, Alexei? Very right, Chris. <laughs> Tells me just what I want. Uh, so what were we talking about? I feel like I lost the thread, honestly. Uh, Matt was making some very intelligent points for... I believe I was. And then you derailed it by talking about New England and New Mexico? No, I think I had a legitimate point. Oh, no, I was talking... Well, we were talking about Chinese history, but uh, th- but that reminds me, we were talking about Hong Kong earlier, and this this past week there has been what's my, what's my catchphrase, my unfortunate catchphrase. There has been more arrests in Hong Kong. The Hong Kong police have arrested more democracy activists. Well, that I'm, might not be a catchphrase for too much longer because they're going to run out of democracy. Well, activists. yeah, that's at yeah, this that's point perfect. all every prominent Hong Kong activist has either been jailed or is in exile. Also, like these last 47 people that were charged this past week, then like they did things like made them sit through like four days of uh, hearings to like Mm -hmm. of bail hearings and stuff like that. Uh, So they're torturing them too. Well, and then the court granted bail for 15 people out of the 47. And then the government basically was like, nope, and put all 47 in prison. Oh, so the bail canceled? It was like because the, the uh, government is going to appeal the ruling. So they're like, well, for ne- we're taking everyone back to prison. Yeah. So this nice. is the thing. Like nice. under Hong Kong law previous to the national security law being passed, like even if people were arrested for the protests or whatever, they'd basically be released before trial. Like mm-hmm. they'd be, you know, released on bail. And the, then with the start of the arrest of Jimmy Lai, like they just held him. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's such a danger to, to society. Yeah, you know, journal, journalist. Yeah, so, like, it's interesting how, like, even that is another sign of, you know, the just sheer deterioration of the of what's happening in Hong Kong. Well, it's also because, and this ties back into the patriotism thing, uh, I believe starting, I, I, it's, it's either already started or will start soon, but the two sessions in China. Well, the, when this was published, it will be the first... They That's have, right. Yeah. Well, anyways, it's it's like the biggest political meeting of the year where, uh, you know, the rubber stamp Congress rubber stamps all the directives the Communist Party wants. And it seems like a lot of it's going to be tied to Hong Kong, demanding patriotism, erasing what little last bits of democracy the city might have had. So, I mean, I think that that's probably part of the reason why they weren't allowed bail because it's syncing up with this very politically sensitive time in China. Yeah. And they want to see what the direction is from the party. Like I said, I think on Twitter that, you know, it's two sessions season when dissidents start getting arrested and put under house arrest and all this stuff, which happens in Beijing every year around when the two sessions start, like two weeks before they start just being like, all right, you guys can't go anywhere. We're going to send people to monitor you. Like, you know, you're, you're under house arrest. And now it's kind of been expanded to Hong Kong. Hong Kong is another part of China. Now. Yeah, it's and uh, the people who predicted it was going to be more like Xinjiang than you know Shanghai. I think they're more on the right track, right? Uh, I mean, we'll have to see. That would that would still be a pretty big escalation from where it is now. Well, yeah, but I mean, in terms of they weren't going to let Hong Kong become just like another Chinese city like Shanghai, which is not like an open air prison the way that Xinjiang is. They might not put people into concentration camps in Hong Kong, but there another thing that came up uh, in Hong Kong last week was that there's proposed legislation 
that hasn't been voted on yet, but the proposed legislation voted. Is that, <laughs> yes, by now, Legco, the the legislature in Hong Kong is also essentially a rubber stamp parliament mm-hmm. because they disqualified a bunch of pro democracy uh, politicians and the other pro democracy people essentially like were forced to resign. You know, there's no opposition anymore in the Hong Kong legislature. So this is probably going to go through. The proposed legislation is that the government could stop people from being able to leave Hong Kong. Yeah. And with the uh, recent announcement by China that uh, anal COVID tests are mandatory for foreigners, no one's getting in or out. (laughs) Thanks, Chris. (laughs) That was an intelligent point in my books. Uh Right, Alexei? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so to all of our friends in Hong Kong watching this, get out while you still can. Well, I mean... It's hard to. Where do you go? I I mean, mean, some people can't leave, you know, or some people choose on principle not to leave. Yeah, actually, I mean, I I was talking a few months ago with one of our friends uh, in Hong Kong, and this person told me, I I specifically encouraged them or said to them, um, like, are you leaving now? Or like, when are you going to leave? And they said, I'm not leaving. You know, I have, got, I have got my work to do here. And I found that to be very courageous, but also terrifying because I feel like it's just only a matter of time. And a lot of people that we'd interviewed uh, in 2019 are in jail now. Mm-hmm. Or in exile. Yeah. Uh, or in exile. And, and, uh, Things are happening so rapid. Like it's only been nine months since the national security law. And already they've arrested basically every activist. There's no pro-democracy legislatures anymore. You you can't even wear your t-shirt with the yellow umbrella on it anymore. Like it's it's a completely changed place. And I think what Shelley said about it being more like on the Xinjiang side of things, like I wouldn't be surprised if at some point there's like a, a more concerted effort to wipe out Cantonese in Hong Kong. There's already been a lot of uh, that, like a push to like diminish its youth's use in schools, very similar to what was done in Tibet and in Inner Mongolia and now in Xinjiang in terms of trying to erase the culture of the place. I think we'll see more of that happening in Hong Kong. Oh, gosh. I'm thinking about that movie 10 years that we watched. So in... It turned out they well, didn't need 10 years. Yeah, right. It's actually like six. It's been six years. So that movie was published in 2015, and we interviewed the director, Andrew Troy, in 2016 during mm-hmm. our Pivot to Asia tour. It was tour. like a producer, yeah. I remember you know, that interview, and we were just kind of chatting with him afterwards. And like I, I was thinking at the time, this is a pretty doom and gloom prediction for just 10 years. Yeah, because it, there, there, it was basically like four, four or five different short films. Five. Five. And... I like to forget that one of them. One of them was a bit uh, funny. Uh, Like it was very odd. But like there were things like people not being allowed to use Cantonese. People like this guy got in trouble in one of the films for having a uh, like stand that sold local eggs because he couldn't use the word local. Mm. Remember that one? And then there was another one where. Those one were like the Hong Kong kids had to be part of the Communist Youth League. Yeah, basically where the kids were. And that's also like patriotic education is going to be implemented. Oh, yeah. You know, so like it's not that far off in a certain way. Yeah. Well, and the thing that is 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 very foreboding about all of this is once the Communist Party feels like it's got Hong Kong, it's full steam ahead to Taiwan from there. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the reality of the situation is that Taiwan is, you know, in danger, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think people in America tend to not really believe this because it seems so far-fetched that a country would use military, like a developed country, well, you know, China, like a modern country would use military force to just wantonly take over a democracy. But the Chinese Communist Party has been telling us for years that they are going to conquer Taiwan one way or another. The people in Taiwan fully understand this and they're preparing for it. But like people in the West are like, la-di-da-di-da, they're just empty threats. Well, I feel like in Taiwan, it's not necessarily that simple. I mean, I've read some things about how like Taiwan's military is a little not prepared for this. Yeah, that they're not keeping up their service. There's a lot to that. And we should maybe make an episode about that. But I mean, yeah, like Taiwan is definitely next. And so 
I really would like to know what Biden's China policy is. You know, they recently, uh, I think last week, released an interim national security strategy. Like it's oh, yeah? not the full national security strategy, but it's kind of like a interim summary of like how they see things. And I read the China section and I'm a little worried. What did it say? I didn't, I actually didn't know about um, this. Generally similar things to what we've heard Biden administration officials say so far. Rival, but cooperate. Like rival, but like not really using stronger language mm -hmm. to talk about it. Uh, competitor, rival, definitely don't want to like call them any kind of actual antagonist, right? You know, the strongest will go is competitor or something like that. Um, used China the whole way through. This is a, a departure from the Trump administration's national security strategy where they specifically started calling out the Chinese Communist Party mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. Trump's national security strategy. And the there was also like a specific strategy they released on like how they see China as well that uh, specifically talked about great power competition. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is like a flurry of these, like are we in a new Cold War articles uh, from this kind of stuff where like the Trump administration was specifically saying the Chinese Communist Party, you know, uh, is like the Chinese Communist Party is the biggest threat to America's development. Well, kind of like they didn't I don't think they said it exactly like that, but they were saying things like we recognized how the Chinese Communist Party sees the relationship between China and the U.S., which is yeah. one of great power competition. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to treat it like that. So basically more having their eyes open with like the, the nature and actions of the Chinese Communist Party. And the Biden administration kind of going back to this like softer, like rivalry, competition, uh, we should cooperate when it, you know, when we can. Like, not that there's, it's like cooperation is none of, another one of those words that gets twisted, right? Yeah. Yeah, because of course, no, who, like we're taught from children, like you want to cooperate. cooperate. So, so this is a way to, to get back to the the way that the Communist Party twists language. When yeah, we talk about point. cooperation, we mean here in the West, we typically mean working together for shared interests and shared goals, right? When the Communist Party talks about cooperation, they mean compliance with the Communist Party's goals. You know, cooperation so, so, for a mutually beneficial future. Right. So future this, this for whole, right. Win-win yeah. mutual cooperation. But what, what it really means is, is now you have to cooperate with me on my terms. Because they're not right. going to give in. Because they're not. Yeah, yeah. We just have to be aware of, of what that is. And and I think the, the short-sightedness of looking at cooperating with China on issues, well, number one is we say cooperation because we think shared goals and shared interests what the reality is we don't have the same goals and interests and we're just sometimes blind to that. And number two, we've been tricked before. The two best examples of this, I think, are the Bush administration started out sounding tough on China, but after September 11th, they decided they wanted to cooperate with China on the shared interest of fighting terrorism, global terrorism. And the US meant one thing, and what the Communist Party did is use terrorism now as their catchphrase to persecute political enemies. And they're still using it as they go after the Muslims in Xinjiang. They just took this idea of cooperation, twisted it to their own uses, but using the same word uh, to meet their own ends. And it didn't help the US stop terrorism at all. It had zero impact on that. And then after that was the Obama administration who had this idea that we have to we have to cooperate with China on global warming because it's a global challenge. And the only way is to cooperate with China. And so what has China done on global warming? Number one, we know that ideologically that they don't actually care about reducing carbon emissions because they've been going full steam ahead on building new coal plants. Full, I guess steam is, is appropriate. It's very appropriate. Um, so they said they want to cooperate, but actually not only have they been building coal plants, which are releasing carbon, but also they've been taking advantage of the renewable technology push by stealing US technology for windmills and solar panels. And now most solar panels that you buy in the US are made in China. They've totally taken over and, the industry. And, yeah. mm -hmm. and when they're made in China, they're made in these bad working conditions powered by coal 
to make the parts, right? It's it's insane. And and yet we thought in the Obama years that oh, we can cooperate with China on fighting this. The, China, the Communist Party does not care about carbon emissions. They they don't care about the environment except maybe as it potentially could lead to protests uh, or other embarrassments. But essentially, they've completely hoodwinked us and taken advantage. Not to mention the, the Belt and Road, right? They're building coal plants on all this all along the Belt and Road. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's a completely, from the perspective of reducing carbon emissions, like if you, if you listen to what the Communist Party says, you'd think they want to be a global leader. If you watch what they do, you'd think it's like they're racing to get to the bottom. It's well, shocking, a shocking contrast. Really, the Chinese Communist Party entire uh, foreign policy is kind of built upon manipulating U.S. diplomacy. Like if you think about the salami slicing or what they've done in the South China Sea, their whole strategy is like, we'll do the little things that push the envelope just a little bit so much that not enough that you would really do anything because then like you don't want to, you don't want to start a war over like some rocks in the ocean. Was that Kirk Sullivan or was that Jake Sullivan or Kirk Campbell? It was Kirk Campbell. It was Kirk Campbell. Mm -hmm. Good choice, Biden. Yeah, this whole like they understand how diplomacy works. It means you don't want to do anything until you absolutely have to. And by that point, it'll be too late. It's interesting because it's like they, I don't think it's just the U.S. It's like how it's been treating like Western democracies in general mm-hmm. or just like, it's like they think that no one, like, it, it's like they've been so good at doing this that they think that no one's ever going to catch on. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, it's just like this whole thing that they do with the whole, you know, we're going to publish one version in English and another version in Chinese. No one knows how to read Chinese outside of China. And uh, it's it's like the, a few years ago, the Chinese Students and Scholar Associations in the U.S. got caught working with Chinese consulates and embassies because they'd say they were in Chinese on their websites or on like their WeChat. We're proudly or, working with the Chinese consulate. Yeah. Thank you, Chinese consulate, for funding our whatever program. And then... Uh, you know, thinking that like nobody was ever going to get in trouble because who would, you know, and then like Chinese speaking and reading journalists caught on to it. So, it, you know, I think there's like a there's a certain arrogance there to like that they've been able to get away with it all these years. And like, you know, they can just keep on saying good, good sounding things about win win mutual cooperation. Well, it sounds like it's working if the Biden administration is going back, not talking about the Communist Party, talking about China, talking about cooperation. Yeah. I mean, I think we've said before that we should judge their actions. And I still think that's the yeah, yeah like yeah. that's the way to go. But In like, general, they've said mostly what they should, though mm-hmm. I'm not well. Mm hmm. This but national like, security thing sounds awful. Yeah, so like that's the, the so it's kind of like how will this translate into policy? Mm-hmm. Um, it's that's not clear yet. Like if there is some kind of confrontation over Taiwan, what will happen? Like all of this is still kind of yeah, you know, uh, a little bit. Like the U.S. has kept on doing freedom of navigation stuff in the mm-hmm. South China Sea. They've sent ships through the Taiwan Strait. Like Biden had uh, the Taiwanese. Essentially, ambassador at his inauguration. Yeah, so that like, was a first. Yeah, so that there's, it's not, it's not like saying that there's everything's terrible. Like we're just giving up, and the the, the CCP is going to take over. I don't think that's the case. Well, I think it's like but, Matt said earlier. It's like we need to judge by not what they say, but their actions. He was talking about the Chinese Communist Party, but we need to do that with the um, the Biden administration as well. Yeah, yeah, and I think we should encourage them. You know, not like just the three of us, but like, you know, everyone watching, like it's all of our job to, regardless of whoever's in power, like we have to encourage our officials to do the right thing. And that's the case with the Biden administration. But what I wanted to point out about when the Biden administration broke from like the, the, the Trump administration, particularly Mike Pompeo, kept calling out the Chinese Communist Party and the Biden administration is going back to calling it China. This is yet another example of how the Communist Party uses language to trick people. So China is such a broad term. And there's actually not even a clear definition of what China is. And so like when someone says something that is uh, critical of the Chinese Communist Party, they're accused of being anti-China. When something does someone that hurts Chinese people, they say, oh, you're anti-China. So, but these are actually two different things, 
right? We're accused of being anti-China, even though we've always stood for the rights and well-being of the people living in China. And so it's correct to call out the Chinese Communist Party because the party controls the government uh, and the government implements the party's policies, including arresting dissidents, killing people for organs and so on. Right. So ultimately, the, the communist, the Chinese Communist Party is the responsible group. But if you start talking about how we deal with China, then it blurs the lines. So anything that seems like we're standing up to China could sound like it's anti-Chinese people or standing up to Chinese people or against the people in some way. And so people who are using that term, they feel like they have to couch their language because they're like, oh, well, we don't want to seem anti-China. It's you, very you constantly have to make that disclaimer, right? You well, know, even right? the yeah. Trump administration was doing that. Like yeah. They were saying we were talking about the Chinese Communist Party, not the Chinese people. Chinese yeah. Communist and Party. I think that's because the Communist Party specifically tries to do that kind of conflating. Them, See right? that in Australia all the time. But like the thing is that, you know, we use this country as a shorthand for the government a lot. Like when mm -hmm. we say like the U.S. or whatever, and we actually mean the Biden administration. But it's different when it's a country that has like a democratically elected government versus, mm -hmm. you know, a, you know, authoritarian regime. And also the Biden administration is not doing things like saying, well, if you're if you're criticizing us, then you're anti-America. You know, that's the that's the part where the Chinese Communist Party comes in and then does this conflation thing. Mm -hmm. Well, the Biden administration is not killing Americans for their organs. That's also true. Uh, but also, yeah, like like what did he like? What it, does it mean to be patriotic in America? People have their own ideas of what this means. But for a lot of people, that means speaking out against the things that people in power are doing because you think that's not in the best interest of the country, right? And no one says that a person who is critical of the Biden administration or the Trump administration is unpatriotic for having those views, Right. That's just part of being you haven't been American. listening to American political discourse. <laughs> very few people like very few actual like average Americans believe that. Right. Like patriotism isn't about supporting a specific a, a party. specific party. Yeah. Right. It's about the love for the country. And, and it's and again, like a lot of these things are kind of fuzzy and nebulous and it's hard to to put a handle on it. And if you're a clever politician, you can take advantage of language. And the Communist Party has done a great job of that. And just to get, and I'm not saying the Communist Party did this, but it's, it is a win for the Communist Party that the Biden administration is using the word China and not Communist Party. It's yeah. a huge win for the Communist I Party. I mean, I'm sure that the Biden administration had their own reason for doing that. Like, I don't think they were like, well, the Chinese Communist Party will be pissed off if we say Chinese Communist Party. I don't think that's why. Probably they thought that like it was McCarthyist or something for the Trump administration to say or just that cop. they had to do something to make their China policy sound different from Trump because right. it's politically not good for them to be too close to the Trump administration. Yeah, I think the the theme of the Biden administration's foreign policy so far seems to be like, we're going back to diplomacy. Perhaps it's undiplomatic to call out the authoritarian regime that uh, you want to be diplomatic with. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Which, which president has not done an airstrike in Syria? Well, I can't name one recently. I think Trump did do airstrikes in Syria. That's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I mean, look, we, Garfield. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the cat or the president? Either. Both. Yeah, <laughs> honestly. Um, well, the interesting thing here that we don't really know yet um, is whether the Biden administration go back, going back to this language of talking about China and using the term rival and competitor and not talking about great power competition uh, means that they're just doing this like for form, like what you said, Chris, about, you know, they just feel like they have to not have the same policy as the Trump administration or whether this is what they believe and they don't believe that China is in a great power competition with the U.S. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Whether they honestly think that like China is a rival, it's a competitor, but we can work together and it's not actually it's not trying to destroy us. It doesn't think that we're the biggest threat to it, you know. And that's that's really a crucial difference. And it would seem it, it seemed a stretch of the imagination that to think that the Biden administration would somehow not understand that, especially after everything that's happened over the past couple of years as China became as the Chinese Communist Party became a bipartisan issue 
You have uh, Chuck Schumer recently talking about, you know, urging a bill to to outcompete China. Well, see, that's a little different because that kind of is like China's our greatest competitor. Like that's different than a great power competition. That's, that's just thinking like economically, we need to be in a better shape to compete with China. That's true. But it, it seems like, the, well, considering who is in the Biden administration, it would seem like the people would just have to have not been paying attention. Well, considering I, people like right. Kurt well, Campbell, well, maybe. Can I just say that like the first year and a half of the Trump administration? Yeah. You know, like he was talking about my friend Xi Jinping. You know, he he took that state visit to Beijing where he said something like, China has treated me better than anyone has been treated in history. And like- I think he meant in the history of China. In the history of China. To be fair. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, only in the history of China. So only the last 5,000 years. Like, does Trump not understand what a threat the Communist Party is? And I think looking back after four years, it's it's clear that, uh, well, it's this is not certain, of course, but I'm thinking that maybe what he was doing was trying to get a trade deal that he thought was going to stop the Communist Party from infringing on the U.S., but he, he kind of had to play it this way in order to get what he wanted. I, I think mean, it was support for North Korea. That was the big thing. Yeah, and I, and I think your analysis on that is also really- It's possible. It's, it's, you know, no, I-, I, and I I think that that's there was that factor. thing where where Trump said that he thought that China control could control North Korea, and then mm. Xi Jinping gave him a history lesson on the relationship between China and Korea. Oh, and Remember like, that? Was, and it was like, oh, South Korea, Korea was really a part of China at one point. Uh, and you and know, Trump is like, oh wow, I never knew that. Yeah, and then like everybody was like, Trump is so ignorant, you know. Uh, yeah, but 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 the, but the point is, it did take a while for the Trump administration's China policy to kind of solidify. I think and come yeah. out. I, mean, I think it was clear from the national security people pretty much from the beginning where yeah. like. This is this is a problem. We need to, you know. Yeah. But then you have the, you know, Steve Mnuchin. Mnuchin, yeah. And like the people who just want to do grows. business with China. So like, and then you had people like Peter Navarro, who was on the business trade side, but he was very much like death by China guy. Yeah. So like, who was going to come out, you know, ahead in this? Like, yeah. You know. And so it's it's kind of understandable that like, all right, it's been like what a month six, and a half, six weeks, yeah. six weeks. All right, the Biden administration's China policy is not crystal clear yet, of course, that that makes sense. I think it's just the Biden administration is kind of operating under this added pressure of there was the whole Hunter Biden scandal. Mm. There was the past failures of getting China in the WTO, which Biden supported as a senator, all of his dealings with China uh, as vice president, uh, the, the work of Kirk Campbell, Jake Sullivan, Eli Ratner. Lots of reasons to be very concerned that this could go in a very bad direction. Yeah, and I think that the thing is that, like, also they may have a ideological, um, similar to the Obama, Obama administration, in this like ideological belief in that, like, like honest belief that like different cultures have like different cultural norms. Yes, and like I'm not saying that to like rag on Biden because we did this. No, whole... but look, it's the Communist Party's cultural norm to take over Taiwan. That's just. I mean, like I'm just because like there was this whole like brouhaha about genocide being a cultural norm. Right, whatever, and that was is... way exaggerated. But like there is a, a certain strain of thought more towards like the Democratic Party, right? That like you can't you can't have one culture imposing their cultural norms on top of another culture. So this is the idea that like human rights aren't necessarily like universal so much as, you know, I mean, I don't think that any American president would say that, but like there was this kind of feeling, I think, in the Obama administration that like we don't want to be the ones to impose our, you know, values on another country, right? Like it's like the anti-American imperialism idea. This goes back to what Matt's saying about how China's been very successful with that kind of propaganda. And that could be feeding into this kind of worldview where, I mean, yeah, if you say like it sounds perfectly reasonable to say, you know, one one country should enforce its values on another country until you it's the Chinese Communist Party. They're killing their own people. They're trying to destroy the world. Right. I mean, we don't enforce our values on Mexico, right? I mean, Mexico has different, a lot of different cultural elements than the U.S. The The difference with the Chinese Communist Party is we're also not telling them that they have to be like Americans in every respect, right? It's just like, you know, 
stop killing your own people. Stop putting your ethnic minorities in concentration camps. I mean, don't these, invade Taiwan. Yeah, like don't the, stop it in Hong Kong. These aren't big asks. Um, depends on your perspective. They're they're they strike <laughs> at the the heart of the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this is the stuff that the Communist Party is using to stay in power. Yeah, so it's not an issue of like, oh, the Communist Party needs to reform. Fundamentally, that's impossible. Yeah, so I'm a little worried that the Chinese Communist Party is going to pull a, well, you know, if you want us to cooperate on climate change, climate czar John Kerry, we can accept that. But like, you can't really say anything about human rights. Like, let's talk about it behind closed doors. Which is what yeah. happened big time in the Obama administration, actually, for most of the You know, the Clinton, history. Bush, Obama. Like, yeah. they it's were, not- they you, can, it. you can talk yeah. about these things to us just behind closed doors. Don't do it publicly. It's like Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama. Yeah. And so, then not Trump. So the, the secret is that if an authoritarian regime tells you not to talk about something in public, the only way to achieve what you want to achieve is to talk about it in public. So undiplomatic, though. I know. Oh, uh, yeah. What and whole diplomacy thing? That's... I mean, it's not that diplomacy is a bad thing. It's just you have to understand who are you being diplomatic with. Is it France? In which case, send the nukes. <laughs> <laughs> or Iran? Uh, yeah. China? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. Canada. Again, going back to like the, are we going to call out the Chinese Communist Party? Because if we don't, we're going to treat them like they're just like a normal country. That Well, that's that's the issue with the whole genocide designation. Currently, the Biden administration is still reviewing that. I don't know why they need to review it, but it's, you know, a Trump Maybe they just think thing. that like, oh, well, like the Trump administration didn't dot their I's and cross their T's. Yeah, but like if, it, if they come out where they like go back on that. That would be... A huge blow to the U.S. I think. I like yeah, I like it seems politically impossible to do that. But then, maybe how... there's a way they could just blame it on Trump, and then they could get away with it. Or, or it. I'm concerned it might go down a route of it's it's Xi Jinping. The, the the longer Telegram kind of thing. It's Xi Jinping. Get rid of him, and then the Chinese Communist Party is fine to work with. I don't think that will happen with the genocide designation. The thing about the, the reason why Justin Trudeau didn't want to vote on this is because Biden and Trudeau have to directly interact with Xi Jinping, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, like there's you no can't, way you can't treat China like a normal country if you also label it as a regime that's committing genocide. Yes, so the heads of state have to avoid doing that. So there, I don't a, think the Biden administration way. will directly say Xi Jinping was, you know, genociding people. Can mm -hmm. I suggest that there's there's another way where you don't have to label as as committing genocide the country that you work with, which is to not work with the Communist Party. But no, we have to work with them on They're shared bonds. goals. On, yeah, it's shared goals like fighting climate change and fighting terrorism. See how well it's worked in the past? They've got me too. Well, I think that's the thing. Like, you can't say that you don't want to work with. Like, it's not a... It's not a Cold War situation right now where, and I think that's- Which it is a Cold War situation. Yeah, but like there's an active resistance to that whole idea of great power competition too, that like the world doesn't want to be split up into these two. Like, I think this is something that's happening in, in Europe a lot, like the European Union, right? Like we're now in a post-World War II- As post China is War, gradually trying yeah. to eat it up. Yeah, but like the whole idea is that like we don't want to do this thing again where it's like half of it's this way, half like half of it's with the communist bloc, half of it's with the western bloc. Like we don't want to go through that again. So, you know, we're going to close our eyes and like put our fingers in our ears and go la 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 la, you know. And hey, if Hungary is completely bought off by China, it's it's not the same as East and West Berlin, right? Well, I think actually where East Berlin now is going to be Hong Kong. <laughs> Which used to be West Berlin. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah. So, but again, we need to actually see what the Biden administration does. And as we said earlier, it took time for the Trump administration's China policy to crystallize. So it is too early to be flying off into flights of fancy of like, oh, Biden's going to let China invade Taiwan. Way too soon. Too early for accusation, but it's it, it's the right time for all of us to put pressure on the administration to do the right thing. Yeah, China has to be 
the Chinese Communist Party has to be an issue Americans care about. Because those are America's cultural norms, as Biden says. The president has to listen to the people. And talk about human rights. And talk about yeah. human rights. And, yeah. and what's a good way, Chris, for people to do that? To, to, to learn about what's happening in China and what they ought to tell their officials to do. Well... There's this video game called Dynasty Warriors. It's 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 the it's Romance of the Three Kingdoms, but it's just a lot of fun. Um, that's that's pretty much where I learned about modern China politics. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> I learned about modern Chinese politics by studying Karl Marx. <laughs> I feel like was that supposed to be a joke? I can't. No, not really. Okay. I mean, if you if you read Marx as I have, like it's pretty clear that that's actually the way that they're doing things. No, if you read Marx, you you get it. It's a joke. Uh, uh. Groucho, watch China Uncensored. That's 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 what Matt was giving me the. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't get what he was hinting at. It was so subtle. <laughs> watch us. We're great. We're great, and we have lots of jokes that aren't that funny. Honestly, I think if people are watching this podcast, they're like. They're the die. Yeah, they're the hardcore. Hard, die hard. Yeah. Not die core. I said hardcore. <laughs> yeah, I think I was trying to say die core. <laughs> you are the die core of China Uncensored. Uh, yeah, I mean, if if people will sit through us playing Monopoly Socialism, like these are these are the true fans is what I'm saying. Yeah, stay tuned for when we play Stardew Valley as a curve. That'll be that'll be a wild ride. <laughs> wild, wild ride. Uh, Thanks for watching China Unscripted. Once again, I'm Chris Chow. I'm Shelley Zhang. And I'm Matt Ganesta. See you next time. 